Welcome to another episode of Singled In, a gathering place for single members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in their 30s and 40s, also known as mid-singles. I'm Oliver. And I'm Lindsay. Today we're joined by Lonnie Harmon, the dating counselor. And I'm so excited. I'm really excited for this episode. We found each other online. I found Lonnie on Instagram through a mutual friend. And she is based out of Utah and um, she has a therapy background and she counsels with singles on their dating lives and yeah we all need we all need we all need a Lonnie in our lives we all need a dating counselor so <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank um, you so much for having me I'm really honored to be here and to get to know you guys better in your community I think this is amazing I love this love that you're doing this podcast oh well, thank oh, you Lonnie. Yeah. we're lucky to have you as a guest yeah super excited all right so tell us a little bit about yourself Lonnie so I am um, born and raised a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was uh, born in northern Utah, uh, raised in that area, and uh, parents, you know, happily married. They met at the age of three and four years old. So <laughs> by the time I was five, I was like, my ship has sailed. No, just kidding. <laughs> do you ever notice how sometimes you take on your parents' story as being like, you should, you should do that? Yep. 100%. I stressed about that. I just did. And I, I remember when I figured that out, being like, I, I, "Have I already met him? <laughs> Should I go back and strengthen that relationship?" Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> so, I'm so the funny. second of five. Let's see. Um, I got my start in therapy um, through just kind of discovering that that was an interest. And as any therapist will say. People started asking me for advice. And one day I decided maybe I should get paid for this because I'm just doing it anyway, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's because I have this amazing judgment or, you know, this amazing blah, blah, blah. It's more just that I love to talk and I love to listen and that lends to this career. So there you go. Yeah. I love that. I love that you said uh, you're using your parents as a blueprint. My parents actually met in a modern dance class at BYU. And I went to BYU and took modern dance. And I was like, is my husband here? But there are only maybe like two men, maybe not straight. So like, oh, it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and you walk like, into the room and you're already like, my future is over. Yeah. <laughs> Before it even begun. That's so great. Right? Uh, it's amazing. My parents were middle school sweethearts. I think you mentioned that. I yeah. love that. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's so middle school is when you're you're your most awkward self, I feel like. Yes. So to fall in love when you're your most awkward, you gotta feel like that's secure. <laughs> this is gonna last. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You're most vulnerable. That's true. So how did you get into dating counseling? So it's the school of hard knocks, as as many relationship coaches or therapists <laughs> do. Uh, I had gone to actually UNLV for graduate school as a single, single woman. Yes, go Rebels. And before I went to UNLV, uh, I feel like my friends would describe me as just really buttoned up, like huh. very proper, very structured. Um, you know, I would gasp if someone swears, like yeah. just a very structured person. And I had had a broken engagement when I was 23. 
and just went on this like dating hiatus. I was just really struggling trying to figure out how to avoid doing that again. And when I went into graduate school, especially in Las Vegas, there's just the the members down there and the friends that I made uh, just had a, a really open personality. There was just kind of this vulnerability of like, well, yeah, we all just want to be friends with each other. And if we date or we don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. And your dating status is a little bit more hidden up here. Like nobody knows or can know it's very vague. And I don't get that still, hmm. but as I went through graduate school um, and started getting back into dating and kind of opened up, they called it Vegas Lonnie. She emerged. Oh. And she like was, she's way more fun. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. She comes out even more when I go visit there. It's like, my husband's like, wow, Vegas Lonnie, she is here. Like, um, <laughs> and it's not like I've never drank. I've never gambled, like literally never done a slot machine. Not that I'm against it or whatever. I'm just saying like, it's yeah. not that kind of Vegas. It's more just that there's a, even more openness there. Mm-hmm. So as I'm doing my training for therapy and I'm dating, you can imagine that those two things are merging in my head and I'm starting to figure out my pattern and I'm starting to put words and language to how to treat people with anxiety. And then I'm starting to apply it to dating. And I realize I have relationship anxiety, mm-hmm. like really bad. Mm. This experience that I had before really just threw me off balance and my attachment system that has, it was raised secure, doing really good things, knew how to interact and hold my own. And it just transformed into this person that was very compliant and not necessarily an advocate for herself, Mm. nor did I think I had much to offer. Mm. I just didn't feel like I was enough. Mm. And all of that anxiety really translated into dating. So I started um, giving myself therapy. I was also getting therapy. And I mean, when you have Mm -hmm. unlimited access to therapists, you should take advantage of (laughs) So I got book recommendations and, you know, articles and just all kinds of things. And I just really dove into it. And then through the next years, started applying it. And by the time I met my husband and was on the way, I was just, um, I had transitioned from a singles ward um, into a different one, as well as transitioning from a young single adult ward into a single a single adult ward. Mm. And so I just had a lot of friends that were like, tell me what you did. What is the mm-hmm. secret? And so we would sit down and I would, I would map it out. And I would say, here's what you need to do. Here's what it looks like. And that led to one speaking engagement at a stake relief society event, mm. right? After I got engaged. And it's snowballed. That was 2011. And it it's just carried. And that's now exclusively who I work with. Oh, wow. I cool. love it. And I just feel like it's the worst to feel like you're broken and not enough. And there's, it's just, it was really good growth for me. And I'm glad I went through it, but I hated it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> So you're saying, so you're saying being married is much better. It is because I feel like the growth that happens inside of marriage is what I would, I was really needing and working towards. Uh And um, I didn't, I didn't want to be without that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be inside of a marriage where, you know, you're looking at yourself and them in the mirror and you're just really trying to continuously do that growth, the growth that comes with motherhood. Like I really yearned for that growth. Yeah. And I was terrified that I wouldn't get to that part of my life. And I, 
I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't unlock what I needed to do to get into that kind of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So thankfully unlocking that and doing the, the work and application that I did, I just married this awesome guy and being married is actually freaking awesome. <laughs> like he is fun. We have a good time and yeah. it's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him on your videos. He seems like really fun. I love oh that. My gosh. He is the best for it. When I first started doing reels, the very first one, I think he was like, Oh my gosh, honey, what are you even doing? Yeah. <laughs> and, and his, his son, he's got a son from another relationship and his son was there and you know, it's the TikTok era. He was like 11 and he was like, she is cool. She's going <laughs> to put herself on social media. And so I think he indulged him. And within, you know, two hours, I was like, do you see how many views that this had? Like, I, I just reached more people just in that 10 second video than I have in five years worth of trying to help. Yeah. Uh, and I think that really opened his mind. And there's a, there's a little drama kid inside of him. Uh. He, he's such a good sport about it. It's fun. Oh, that's so cute. Solani, you said that you were first engaged when you were 23, but then that was a broken engagement, right? Yes. And then well, how old were you when you uh, got married to your husband now? 31. Okay. The right old age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny that you say that because I think we mentioned this before. Um, the church is great and all, but it definitely there's definitely a lot of pressure behind it, especially when it comes to like relationships and marriage. Mm-hmm. And then when you leave the YSA and you go into mid singles ward, you kind of feel like a failure because, you know, yes. you got married when you're in the YSA ward. Yes. I, I feel like I graduated without honors. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, yeah. Here's <laughs> the know, like, I, I don't get my cap and gown. I don't get my little golden whatevers, <laughs> you know, it's just like, see you later. Yeah. Actually, when I left the YSA, my friends were really cute and they made me a, a yearbook. I put that in quotes because it was just like pictures of us as friends or whatever. And then they had everyone in the ward sign it. Oh, but that is actually a really good idea, though. I do feel like yeah. that there should be some sort of positive ceremony when you're leaving the YSA and transitioning to the mid-singles ward. Because you yeah. need all the positive, positivity you can get, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like they're they're trying to change um, some of the messaging of why a singles ward exists. Mm-hmm. And I have learned that as a missionary, because I'd served in a singles ward, that it's really oh, supposed yeah. to be a, a smaller piece of how a ward functions and that you get, as an, you get an opportunity to have more leadership positions and to have more growth. Yeah. But really, the reason that what we look at that for is this is where you're supposed to go to meet someone to marry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not to grow your testimony or to exercise more leadership options. It's to get married. And mm-hmm. so if you graduate, so to speak, without getting married, then it feels like you have failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case, right? You just, yeah, be, be, no. I means are different. Going back to kind of the, the timeline of things you mentioned, I got engaged at 23. I, I remember being in my very first transfer talking to my trainer and I just looked at her and I said, if I'm not engaged by the time I'm 23, I'm probably going to have a panic attack. Wow. <laughs> and she looked at me like, Oh, you don't know anything. And then she very kindly <laughs> smiled and said, I'm 23. Yeah. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how sad. <laughs> yeah. And in my head, I thought, I thought, cause this was the era of, if you go on a mission, it's because you're not as cute 
you haven't been selected um, (laughs) to be married, you know, you haven't been the chosen one and you just are going to, to fill time. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't the case for me. I just, I genuinely wanted to go, but when, when that get, happened at 23, I, I feel like some of the cultural pressure to be married contributed to my decision to have that relationship and to the pace of that relationship, because I thought this is what I want. This is the age I want to get married. We're just going to plow through this. I mean, we were engaged mm-hmm. after dating for two months, two and a half months and broken mm-hmm. up after three months. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Way too fast. Yeah. Way yeah. too fast. Yeah. But very typical, like in the, because I thought, yeah, that is, there's this thing that you, you kind of carry of like, as soon as we just can't get enough of each other, Mm -hmm. just don't want to stop. Then that's the person Mm. versus having boundaries and knowing what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And being in it for the long haul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as a dating coach, what is your age demographic that you most work with? I mostly work with uh, 27 to 38, mm-hmm. uh, although the age range goes, you know, 18 to 65. But the the most that I work with are kind of struggling with that transition from being in an older space in this young single adult ward and then being in a younger space in a single adult ward. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So um, th- these people that this age bracket that you're working with, I'm assuming most of them are like, they already have a good career, they have a good job. Um, maybe they're homeowners, maybe they're just like really well set. They just haven't been able to find that relationship gap, if you will, or someone to fill that role. Yeah, they are very well established in their careers. Um, some maybe finishing up parts of their career or adjusting you know, companies or things that they're working for, uh, condo, home, mm-hmm. you know, where they're renting to roommates. I mean, just, just well-established, articulate, mm-hmm. wonderful people. And the dating scene, it's, it's almost like they morph outside of who they are during the day and they turn into like an, a very scared, shy, cautious, looking for signs, looking for reassurance Mm -hmm. excessively like just kind of morphing into this personality type that isn't who they really are at their core Mm. oh interesting so they're like super successful in their work and confident but then they just like lack those skills or that confidence when it comes to I think they just don't it's it's, you know we're all we're all just learning how to date through the stories we hear from other people yeah for sure it's not it's not intuitive yeah we didn't come up from the woman be like I know how to ask somebody out (laughs) (laughs) yeah behavior and if you don't really learn how to have swagger Mm -hmm. you're gonna struggle (laughs) you know yeah yeah what is so you mentioned earlier that you kind of laid out a map for friends in the early stages of this what is uh what are some aspects of that map like what do you what are some of the principles you're teaching people or helping them with I'm going back to the basics of relationship building what okay. does it mean if someone is a stranger and how do you behave? Oh, interesting. And then what's the behavior that you would do to take someone from stranger to acquaintance? Hmm. Oh, interesting. So and kind of just like making, making sure, sorry, what was that? Kind of like making friends. Exactly. I had a client one time say, so this is basically like making friends, but you kiss. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yep. You want to sum it up like that for sure. You know? 
So in some ways these behaviors need to be learned, but in other ways we like uh, already know how to do this. Right. We've been taught how to build relationships from infancy Um, for whatever reason, because it's a romantic relationship, the stakes are just that much higher Uh and the fear of rejection and the ability to rebound are just astronomical. Uh And if we can kind of put it back into the sphere that it's supposed to be in, in that it's normal to not be attracted to everybody. Uh It's normal for everybody not to be attracted to us. Uh It's normal not to be friends with everybody. If we can put all of that into that sphere, then we don't necessarily personalize the message of something not working out in a space where it's just catastrophic. Mm. Interesting. So kind of lowering, lowering the pressure, Mm -hmm. taking down mistakes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say necessarily like lower your standards, but if you're looking for for like a 10 out of 10, Mm -hmm. if you find one, maybe you're lucky, but maybe tweak your standards a bit. Well, it's more that like, I don't necessarily know anybody that can show up on an app as a 10, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, your picture is left to interpretation of whoever thinks whatever is a 10 and as well as your words. And then when you meet in real life, it's like you have an hour at an ice cream shop to prove you're a 10, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like I just don't work that fast. Yeah. That makes sense. Also, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, so the opportunity that you have to, to date has to kind of develop over some time. And so it's, it's not necessarily lowering your standards. It's just lowering your expectations for the length of time to get to know somebody. Mm. Mm, Yeah. Like you're not going to have all the information you need in the first couple of dates. I also feel like, like what you're saying about comparing it to other relationships, because it's not like with friendships, you're like, okay, does this person meet my friendship criteria? Like you're just getting to know the person for who they are. And like, I don't think at any point you're like looking to see if they check off some boxes for you. It's just a relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm only friends with that make this much per year or have this degree. So you don't really meet. Yeah. Yeah, It's not even what about what they're offering me, you know, like you're just friends. I don't know how else to describe it, but. And that, and that's interesting. Where does that come from? Like, where do we get these standards is it something that we learn from our family or is that something that we know that we want in or in a partner like who it's because we made the list in young women's (laughs) (laughs) but I, I just feel like what we do is we just look at we look at people in the dating relationship through this really long term lens very quickly. Mm-hmm. And we're deciding, you know, little pieces of information mean this big thing. So here's an example. Um let's say you're on a date and um, your partner is commenting on the swimming pool that's within their view. And they're just like, Oh my word. I just would love to have a swimming pool someday. Just walk out my own house. And there's this beautiful swimming pool. And I could just luxuriously sit in the sun and get in the water. And just, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. And the person hearing this is horrified because they do not want a swimming pool. And they feel like, that is such an extravagant, extravagant thing to have and completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And mm. so they deduced in their mind, I could never be with someone who wants a swimming pool. Yeah. Mm. Someone who's so lavish. <laughs> yes. And so do they say out loud, wait, you, you, are you just this lavish, you know, money hungry person? Or do they just say, we're not a good fit? Most yeah. likely they're going to say, we're not a good fit. And the other person's going to be like, I thought things were fine. 
Mm-hmm. Then they go around telling the tale. Oh my word. People are just so money hungry and want all these lavish lifestyles. And I'm just so over it. That's not what happened at all. They just commented on a pool. Yeah. yeah. It's not the end of the world. Like you could negotiate that easily. Well, and, and honestly, like maybe it, maybe it was just something that they used to dream about as a child because they saw it in a magazine and they genuinely don't actually want the maintenance of a pool. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much more behind that, but we have a snapshot of somebody. We make a judgment call and we have to, to a certain degree, make a judgment call. For sure. Part of the method that I teach is like, make a judgment call maybe together. Mm. Uh-huh. So is a swimming pool like 10 out of 10 important to you? And if they say yes, and you're like, it's a zero for me. So thank you so much for your time. We're not a good fit. <laughs> you know? But, yeah. Yeah. But that's unlikely that that would be <laughs> that extreme in terms of being that opposite. Huh. But, yeah. um, but, you can, but you can apply that to any situation, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's actually a clever idea. Well, because we have this way sometimes in early dating, we have to use our judgment. We have to use discernment. Those are gifts that we just, we have to use. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we use them in our own mind with our own storyline that we've created rather than actually having that conversation out loud. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not appropriate to have that, but if it is lean in, have the conversation, just see, see what that means to them and, and go a little deeper. Mm. Mm. Okay. So Lonnie mm-hmm. back then, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, people used to like me in person and they would go on dates. Mm-hmm. nowadays people still do but now we have dating apps mm-hmm. has that really like has that really made a change like in the dating world like when you work with people and they're like hey i'm trying to like get myself out there but there's these dating apps how do you how do i like you know work my way through this has that really has the dating app like world really changed dating like significantly or has it like exacerbated these problems of like taking your time to get to know people too? I think the answer is just unequivocally yes to all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I came into, when I was dating, we had online dating and I ventured into that world for about six months and my anxiety was through the roof. If you thought it was bad in person, off the charts online. Yeah. Absolutely off the charts. And it was really hard to figure out how to, to differentiate and use discernment when you had so many more choices because anxiety sometimes is, is just needing to make a decision. And if you have decision-making paralysis, because there's too many choices, then, you know, you just shut, you just shut it down. You just shut the app down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You also have this like a therapist background because you got your master's in social work uh, and you worked in that field before you're doing like the dating counseling. Yeah. So I kind of have a hybrid model. So I'm a licensed yeah. clinical social worker and I still do individual okay. one-on-one therapy. Um, okay. most of the clients that I treat one-on-one have uh, generalized anxiety disorder or uh-huh. what's called relationship OCD, which yeah. is a form of OCD that just the, the obsession and compulsion relates around the relationship. Hmm. And then in my coaching program, I teach, uh, classes that help people kind of understand the foundations of dating and then teach them how to do that in the modern world. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask like how, how often is mental health playing into like these dating issues 
I mean, yeah, how often are people just needing help with skills versus like needing to like look at some of the roots of like why they are the way they are or something? Uh, I think that it's most of the time when people um, are ready to date, everybody needs a good set of skills Uh because it's not intuitive and we're learning it, you know, through the school of hard knocks and through what our friends think. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that our friends don't know what they're doing, but would you take advice from the CEO of a business on how to start a business that he started? Or do you take advice from someone who's like, I'm doing my startup at the same time? Mm. Yeah. You know, and I, there's no knocking that, but it's just where are you seeking your mentorship and where are you seeking your advice? And are you just perpetuating in the same cultural problem that's mm-hmm. happening? you know? So yeah, I, I feel like the, the outline of, of, you know, therapy and coaching and all these kinds of things, like, I just feel like everybody needs like a good basic foundation of how to do dating. And then you have to do the, how does that apply to me? And most of the time, what I'm seeing nowadays is that people do have some type of relationship anxiety and it comes from some, either from childhood attachment or from some kind of a romantic situation that morphed their attachment system into behaving in ways that weren't secure. Mm, Like early, earlier romantic experiences that Mm -hmm. kind of skewed their views on things. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We actually did want to dive into that a little bit. The attachment theory. Yes. Um, Let's talk about it. Like what? (laughs) Before people turn their mics off and go to sleep, just know that this is actually one of the most exciting conversations (laughs) ever. We're excited about it. We need to help. Attachment is where it's like, once you learn the basic principles of attachment, you're going to see it in so many other areas of mental health and how to help yourself and other people. Uh, So it's, it's just fascinating. Do you want like a brief history? Should we start there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so we know that mental health was emerging in the um, 1800s, 1900s, you know, but it wasn't until the 1950s that British psychoanalyst John Bowlby does this research study and he's the one that is the father of attachment theory. Mm. And, And in a nutshell, basically, he just discovered that we actually do need each other as human beings, Mm-hmm. which sounds so fascinating that they waited to know that till the 1950s right I mean, right <laughs> what were we doing before that anyway right? yeah like we need each other for more than just like shelter and food and yeah and yeah and if anybody ever took that like psych class these are the studies where it was like the warm-faced mother coming in to respond to the child or the mother that was told to be cold and distant yeah and, watched and measured the distress of the child yeah. Uh-huh. Those were some of those um, early studies that they did. And in the attachment model, basically, they just say like, hey, we come pre-programmed with needs from infancy. We're biologically hardwired to need people. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't communicate. And so when we have a need uh, activated, like let's say we need to be fed, we make a noise, a cry, a sound, something happens, and it cues a caregiver who's hopefully nearby to be responsive and try to figure out what we need. Mm -hmm. And eventually the caregiver, if they're consistently by the same person, they learn the cue. It's called attunement. Mm -hmm. I learned that this cry, like a mom, 
this cry means hurt. This cry means fussy. This cry means hungry. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can hear the different sounds and I'm attuned to know how to soothe and to care for. And the child learns that if I make that sound by that person, my needs will be met and I will be soothed and relaxed and I will survive. Yeah. So attachment's also part of the survival instinct. This is how I'm going to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the caregiver on the outside, we are also hardwired to be needed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is it, you know, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But, uh, yeah. sure. um, but we, we love to feel needed because it fills us with self-esteem. If nobody needs us and we aren't able to care for someone, then we just feel like, what's my purpose? What's my role? What am I doing to contribute to the greater good of humanity? This is something that's wired in us. And so the baby learns that it needs the caregiver. The caregiver learns that caring for the baby gives them self-esteem and they both increase their survival rate. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this baby who knows like what sounds to make. This mm-hmm. baby grows up and now they have to go and find a partner or they got to go mm-hmm. find a mate. Mm-hmm. So hopefully what's happened at home is that the, the home life has created a secure base. Mm-hmm. What that means is as they develop language and they learn to talk and they go out into the world and, you know, they're, they're starting to be a little bit away from home and they have a bad experience at school and they come home and they say, you know, Billy Joe just decided to, that I was stupid and they come home and the, and the caregiver is like, you are not you, the sun shines out of you. And I am so sorry that happened to you. And they go, I am awesome. Billy Joe doesn't know anything. (laughs) And they kind of get recentered and they go back into the world. Right. So this happens as our language develops. And then as the more autonomy uh, happens as we age and we decide to be out into the world, we still kind of crave that home base. Mm. And we say like, when someone wrongs me, I want to call you and have you tell me that I am awesome. And then I will feel okay. And I will go back into the world. Yeah. Mm. Right. So when a romantic relationship um, comes in and we start forming, you know, the desire to bond and attach again, because it's hardwired inside of us, our hormones are activated and saying, they smell good to me. They look good to me. I want to lean closer to them. You know, I might want to kiss them, touch them. And we're doing some of that responding. If that person doesn't want us back, maybe we go back to our secure base and they say, that's normal. You know, people aren't going to fall. Not every person's going to fall in love with you. Or they're going to say, well, what did you do to let them know that you were interested? Or they give them, they give some kind of advice or counsel that helps them stay secure. Hmm. Um, or they keep it inside. They don't tell anybody or some kind of catastrophe or something happens, right? Whether it happens again and again, whether it happens one time, we don't know, but our, we kind of develop, um, a trauma response, which just means I was in a situation that was beyond my ability to know what to do. Hmm. That's the, basic kind of definition of, of trauma, not that it has to be, I was exposed to war or something that it's, I was in a situation where I reached my limit of knowing what to do. I like that. And so sometimes we just do that over and over again. So 
if, if as a child, let's say that your caregiver wasn't nearby or wasn't responsive or was very inconsistent, you can develop this anxious or avoidant style. But what they discovered, and this was kind of in the 80s, was that your romantic relationships are really affected by your attachment system. And if you had a secure attachment and things were going well, but then you've had a disruption or some kind of disruption in your attachment system that activated that anxious or avoidant style, that that can be kind of a way that you behave in dating. So as I mentioned, people with these amazing careers doing all these things, and then they kind of turn into a personality that's not them Mm -hmm. when they start dating. And that's like their anxiety turns on or their avoidance turns on. Huh. So they, so even though they're probably like super confident, a super mm-hmm. confident individual when it comes to dating because the stakes are higher, or mm-hmm. maybe that's a bad experience, that's where that anxiety kind of reemerges. Yeah. And you can kind of look at it in terms of like a primary attachment. When you're asking someone to love you and be physically close to you, it's really, really scary. It's different than just being like, hey, do you want to go hang out and get dinner and go to the movie or whatever? For sure. It's, I'm, I'm going to try to open up my heart and soul to you. And so the stakes legitimately are higher. And so your, you know, your anxiety of, oh my gosh, the last time I did this, it was such a train wreck. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. whenever I opened up and my parent or caregiver did this or that, this is the response I got. Mm-hmm. Your brain kind of starts responding in ways that are not helpful. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So we talked about the different uh, attachments. Mm-hmm. Well, did we? Did we well, we, we mentioned well, I mentioned them, but I could kind of yeah. highlight what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So an anxious attachment system is developed when the person that is going to be uh, caregiving to you, whether it be, you know, a, a romantic relationship or a caregiver uh, is inconsistent or they just don't know how to soothe you. Mm-hmm. either because they're not listening for the cues or the communication is having a big problem. There's a breakdown in the abilities to understand and communicate with each other. And one or both partners just doesn't feel that relief. You don't get to the part where you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of activates. Uh, it's normal for you to have anxiety activate when oh my gosh, we have to have this conversation and we're going to determine our relationship or I want to meet, have them meet my friends. And I'm so nervous. Like it's normal for anxiety to activate, mm-hmm. but remember just like the baby activates and cries when you communicate, I really want you to meet my friends. They have to be like, for sure. I'm all in. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, okay. I feel so much better. Yeah. Or they're like, I don't know why I should meet your friends because we are not that serious. And mm-hmm. you are so crazy or something. Yeah. And they're, they're not soothed and they're like, I am crazy. Oh, you know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> He's absolutely right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the anxious attachment. Yes. That's an anxious attachment system. And it's, it's hard. That was me. I was the anxious. I was the anxious. Yeah. It's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. I want to hear about, yeah, how to deal with all these, but so we have anxious and then we have secure Mm -hmm. and then, and then the other one is avoidant. Avoidant basically just means like people, I don't need them. 
Yeah. Where does that come from? Like from <laughs> caregiving? From a caregiving standpoint, it's usually, you know, the inconsistency slash just they didn't get it or they just weren't around. Like mm-hmm. I just learned that I can take care of myself and all these people just make it so much harder and so much more dramatic. And I'm so annoyed. <laughs> Interesting. Like people make it harder. I like that. Yeah. Because like, if I have to communicate to my caregiver that I want a peanut butter sandwich and let's say that I have a speech impediment and I can't say the word peanut and they're just like, Oh my gosh, say it right. Oh. And they're like, I would rather not talk to you and get made fun yeah. of just get myself a sandwich. Yeah. Cause it's stupid. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I definitely, um, lean toward avoidant in my life. And I think recently I realized, um, like I did have childhood experiences around that, not, uh, from any like lack from my parents or anything, but I had some like undiagnosed health issues that I like was kind of hiding from people for a long time. And I did feel like I had to go, go it alone Mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I could definitely see how I, at some point developed this idea that like, I just had to figure it out myself and it's better if I don't involve other people or what, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, like, you know, I didn't have the skills to like handle that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you were saying you, uh, were on the anxious side. Yeah. So, so initially, like I would feel anxious, but I actually would behave avoidant. Uh Uh-huh. Like, that the thought like after the engagement in those years before I was kind of dating more actively again, I was just so anxious that I was going to mess it up or do something wrong. Or, you know, I just was basically proving that theory that I suck, that I just behaved avoid. I don't need it. I don't want it. And I kind of turned into like a man hater. Uh, yeah. Um, when you're heterosexual, you're, you're the man hater club is strong. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I found a people there. Yeah, for sure. And, you can get validation. You know, there's, there's a lot of validation for that. And there's a lot of media to validate that the man haters club, you know, and <laughs> yeah, you can just you can just be in that for a really long time and blame them. They're the problem, it's their fault. Yeah. Mm. It's blame the patriarchy or mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> yeah, like there are legitimate problems with the patriarchy, and I'm here for that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't really willing to like look at myself and say, so is there, or is what, you know, as Taylor would say, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Great song, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. How did you move past that? Yeah. How do you, how do you over, how do you overcome like that attachment style? So I think just like anything in life, when you develop, an understanding and an awareness that you have it and you can kind of develop language around it you immediately feel more empowered than you do in this mist of I have no idea what's wrong but I'm frustrated mm-hmm. so just seeking more understanding and knowledge and seeking the language to explain I feel anxious when I feel anxious I want to text them incessantly and feel relief when I text mm-hmm. them incessantly, I don't find relief because they're annoyed mm-hmm. and I'm back to where I'm at. Okay. So it's just kind of like starting to recognize the problem, starting to recognize your patterns around. Yeah, it's like recognizing the feeling that I have and the behavior that I do to relieve that feeling. Uh-huh. And it's not necessarily working on adjusting the feeling, uh-huh. adjusting the behavior. Yeah. To adjust the feeling. 
Okay. Like seeing where the, whether the behavior is serving you or not. And if mm-hmm. it's not, then making adjustments. Well, and even just getting a, a, what are other options? How else should I behave? Mm. If people don't incessantly text them. There's another option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of like, does, do you need to like soothe yourself or something to like kind of change some of those behaviors or how do you, yeah. How I do you, you have to know what's within normal to expect for connection. Uh-huh. And then learn how to, how to do that build. If, if you've just met someone and you're, you know, getting ready to continuously go play tennis with them every weekend, mm-hmm. if you texted them 15 times to confirm, mm-hmm. that'd be really annoying. Yeah. yeah. And so you just have to measure some of the behaviors that you do against what would be normal for this stage of the relationship. Mm. And yeah, then you need to soothe yourself and just say like, I have sought the connection. I have been validated and I don't need to create another story. I don't need mm-hmm. to continuously pick this up and look at that. I can just set mm-hmm. it down and do something else. Mm. So kind of tying it back to that, like, um, natural development of relationships you were talking about earlier. I like mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So what about, um, avoidance? Say you're, I have a friend. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, me. it's, it's, problem. it's, it's us. <laughs> so what if you're in like, you know, um, a fairly stable relationship and it's been a while and you still are doing a lot of like maybe ruminating, maybe just questioning a lot of things. Um, so ruminating that that's a buzzword that connects to relationship OCD for me. Uh-huh. So let me talk a little bit about that and your, your friend, if they'd like to come forward, you can <laughs> really do some work, but, but what that looks like is I am. So there's this, this emotion and this fear of being seen mm. and, and letting your heart kind of live outside of your body in loving somebody else. Mm. And it takes courage and bravery to let that happen. And sometimes you just don't want to. And so you start yeah. picking apart a yeah, perfectly decent human being and yeah. trying to figure out why they're not good enough so that you can keep them. Avoidance is really, I want to keep you at arm's length. Yeah, for sure. And then putting something, either a phantom X or some picture you have in your head of what it's supposed to look like on a pedestal and then always comparing them to that. The pedestal. Mm, that's mm. a thousand percent me. Yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like as I'm also avoidant and it sounds like the one thing that Lindsay and I have in common is that we, at one point in our life, we just, we just figured, okay, like we don't need anyone else's help. Like I'm, I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Is that true to say that's like the general rule? If you're avoidant is that you just kind of have this instant where your life where you're like, I don't need anyone. I'm an independent person. I could like figure this out all by myself. Um, I think if you're going to be a classic avoidant in all relationships, yes. But what's interesting is that you can kind of behave differently in different with different people. Mm. Yeah. You may have, you may have kind of like a core, this is where I lean towards, but you could be perfectly secure in some relationships and act totally avoidant or anxious in others. It's, it's kind of a fascinating study. Mm. There's not just a specific, like, this is exactly how I behave all of the time. Mm-hmm. There are some times in really extreme cases, but you aren't really like you aren't your attachment system. You are, you are you, you actually want to be secure. 
Yeah. You want to, you want to have that. Remember you're hardwired for connection. You're yeah. hardwired to be needed. And so when you do these things, your mind and body kind of revolt against a little bit. And they're like, it's dumb. That's not actually what I wanted, but now I have to sit in the mud. I just made. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I either have to use my words and get out of it. Or I just have to, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go to bed. Good night. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that attachment style can maybe change depending on the partner and what they're doing and what they're triggering. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and you together can work on behaving and becoming secure because mm. the feeling of wanting to avoid or, or being anxious, that's going to come mm-hmm. it's the behavior of what you do. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a little story I'll share with you. Um, Please. When I was dating my husband, it was, you know, he was, he got a bachelor's in psychology and oh. so this we bonded over attachment theory, like nerds. So <laughs> romantic. And there was one part that uh, we, we had been exclusive for a while. So I want to say we're like seven, eight months in, we're getting to the part where you start realizing, like, if you don't have your language developed and you can't soothe each other, that you're just going to kind of have that fight again. Mm-hmm. We were kind of having that fight again. And my anxiety was really peaked because I was tired. I was frustrated. I just wanted to be soothed and hang out with my boyfriend. And I was like, well, if you're going to act like this, behave like this, blah, 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 then you can just leave, just leave. And he was an avoidant when things got really stressful and he didn't know how to do whatever he wanted to leave. So when I said that, he was like, great day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> so he's looking he for got that. in his car and he drove away and I stood there and I was like, how dare he? <laughs> how dare he leave? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't he know that I am anxious and frustrated and that I will not sleep because I was the type of anxious that like it carried on into the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm at work or I'm in bed. I can't eat. Like it is big. Mm-hmm. And for him, he's the kind of avoidant that like, that happened over there and now I'm over here and I don't even, I'm not even going to worry about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll deal with it later because I'm in a different location. <laughs> yeah. Like I will just put a lid on that. And if they call me, then I'll know it's real bad. But mm-hmm. if not, I don't need to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was so painful for me because I interpreted that as he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to work on this with me. He, he, you know, everything he said before is a lie. Yeah. And it's over. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. And of course I called him and I was like, where did you go? And he's like, you had told me to leave. And I was like, well, don't leave. You need to come back. And he was like, I am not coming back. <laughs> so very wisely, because we kind of, thankfully we had developed some of this language. Hmm. I said, look, I'm not going to sleep if I know that we're in a fight and I'm not going to be able to work tomorrow. I just, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I cannot talk to you right now because we are getting nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so the book says, let's schedule a time when we're going to revisit this conversation. And until then we're okay. Mm. We're not, no one's breaking up. No one's doing anything crazy. And he said, let's talk tomorrow night after work. And I said, that's great. Until uh-huh. then, I love you. Have a good night. We'll just be normal. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It was very, very, very helpful. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. 
helpful for both of your guys' attachments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he doesn't, his doesn't win. Mine doesn't win. It's uh-huh. that we have to kind of come together and say like, right now it's not going well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to act like this conversation just went away. So we're just going to push pause. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go, we're going to say, this is here. This is the, we're going to pick this up in a minute. But otherwise we are really good and we do love each other and things are fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. I like that. Yeah. Feel free to borrow that if you'd like to. I yes. will. <laughs> That's yes, I am. Yeah. Cause like I mentioned earlier, like both Lindsay and I are like our attachment styles are avoidant. I think we're avoidant dismissive. Oh, I don't know the difference um, between yeah. those, but and yeah. so like you sharing like that story, like kind of does resonate with me where I'm like, oh yeah, like I, I totally do that where I'm like, okay, I know we talked about that, but that was yesterday. So let's talk about this instead. <laughs> Cause it's today, like it's a new day, but you're mm-hmm. right. Like you have to, those are unresolved issues and you have to resolve them. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. they in different forms. Yeah. yeah for mm-hmm. sure. And sometimes it's just, what is the fear? Uh-huh. You know, my fear is you are making me accept something that I don't want to, or my fear is ultimately actually that, that I don't, I don't know, whatever it is, I'm behaving this way underneath it. It's because I really care and I'm afraid. I don't want you to leave mm-hmm. later when we were, when we were first married, you know, we, we had our, um, we had his son and then we had just had our first daughter. So it's probably like year two or three. And I remember he came home from work and I was so mad at him. I was just acting so mad at him. And he was like, I don't know why this is happening. Like, he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't leaving or whatever. Obviously we we're living together. And, and finally I just took a minute and I paused and I said, I am so mad because I want to spend time with you. Mm. And he was like, why are you yelling at me? That? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized it's because I feel like I'm getting neglected. I feel like I'm not a priority. I feel like, you know, you don't see me anymore, blah, 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 blah. And I just want to be with you and I want you to see me. And, you know, we had to talk through what am I doing that's making you feel unseen and how can we adjust that? But my behavior of yelling at him when I actually just wanted him to pull me in and pull me close, Mm -hmm. very, very eye-opening for me. Mm. that's interesting yeah this is super interesting I feel like identifying the issue is like a good first step mm-hmm. and then I just need to like practice I guess yeah and, and I, I think maybe if you can like take a, take a second to ask your partner what's yeah. it like to be with me mm. <laughs> it's a little I mean but this scary, is, yeah if you're if you're the type of person who is interested in growth and feels brave, mm-hmm. then the relationship space is going to be somewhere you're going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you don't like feedback and you just don't want to be brave, relationships are going to be, they're going to be hard. Yeah. Cause there's all, there's growth in improvement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about your story with your husband and him coming home and you being mad at him. And I was like, that's, I mean, that's relationships is like one of you uh, gets to a point where things are too hard or whatever, and there's a blow up of some sort, and then you repair. And like, that's what relationships are is like, you just like, uh, you solve those problems together and you come back together. So like, there's that tension, I think a lot of times, um, mm-hmm. and there's always gonna be the, the issues, but the goal is to keep like trying and, and mm-hmm. 
expect. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of learning for sure. It's hard because ideally, like in my head, I'm like, ideally, it's never messy. Like we always do things perfectly or whatever. We never <laughs> know whatever. Well, we have that misnomer that we think if we fight and we have to repair, then this must not be a good relationship. Yeah. And yeah. I'd say our contraire. Our our hardest year together was when we were dating. Hardest year by far. Really. We, I love dating him. It was so fun, but we fought so much. Really? Yeah. I mean, just, we were raised similarly yet different. We were raised in the same areas, but yet different. We had just different ways that we thought we would live or behave. And you remember, like I came from being super uptight to really loosening up a lot. And then I met him and bless his heart. Like he required even more loosening up. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And, and it was, it was a stretch for me to do that, which in hindsight makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, what's my problem? But yeah. <laughs> there's like a welcome thing. Yeah. yeah. There's just, there's parts of us that, that are seen in a relationship that we want to keep covered. Yeah. Yeah. That we want to like protect. Yeah. And, and unless you could kind of tolerate that discomfort and feel grateful for that, it's, it's hard. And again, you, when you repair, you feel so much better and you have what I call it's relationship self-esteem where you go, Oh, we could really, we can get through some hard stuff. Mm-hmm. I love this that. Really good. And so when it's you know time to make the decision to get married, it wasn't the, do I love him? Do I, could I tolerate his company for the rest of my life? It wasn't that it was, do I feel confident that whatever happens in life, I will turn to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had enough experience at that point that me turning to him and him turning to me provided the relief that we both wanted. And uh-huh. so that gave us confidence to then say, like, let's go for it. Wow. Mm. This is I love that. This is super fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could definitely do five more episodes on yes. this, this topic for well, sure. Yeah. Well, there's there's other attachments that we haven't touched on yet, right? Well, there's disorganized and there's this anxious avoidant and there's this dismissive and there's all these things. But sometimes I feel like when you flood people with too many words on attachment, they, they detach. They yeah. <laughs> lose the healing paradigm are. I just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. So if you have the basics, you can, you can work with those. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of kind of knowing that you aren't that, that might be how, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. and so just notice what you're doing and work to make the adjustments to be secure and mm-hmm. offer that to your partner yeah. mm-hmm. so is it safe to say no matter what attachment style you are as long as you're communicating with your partner you and your partner should be able to figure it out um yeah I think so I, I mean that's a very um I, I'm sure that there there will be people that would disagree with me but I feel like that goes in, you know, it's intent. If somebody's intent changes, uh, then it doesn't matter. Like it's going to be hard, but if you both have the intent to try to get there, um, it's called, um, in marriage, you're, you're, you're well in relationships, but in, in marital therapy and things that we do, we're working on giving each other what's called unconditional positive regard. Mm, I've heard that. Yeah. Where I see you and I've known you long enough to know that you don't have a malicious heart. You're not trying to harm me. You're not trying to like take my power or my money, you know, or, or my health or something like, and so when something disruptive happens and things get off, 
I don't automatically jump to the worst catastrophic situation that could happen and have a huge reaction. I lend them that positive regard and I say, okay, this is out of character. I still, we're still going to talk about it, but help me understand where this came from and let's try to get back on track. Yeah. I feel like um, anxious and avoidant deal, they're both dealing with fear in different ways. One's fear of like (laughs) not being seen and the other one's fear of being seen maybe in some ways. Maybe that's really simplistic, but yeah, I think like part of uh, overcoming these um, less helpful attachment styles is maybe leaning into that fear or just like owning that fear. Like I'm afraid of this thing, but can I, can I like work through that fear? You know? Yeah. And if you really, I really like this because if you really just break it down to the bare bones, sometimes the difference between being in a relationship and not being in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it's going to be compatibility and attraction. Yeah. But the other part of it is just going to be choice. Like, am I going to show up? Or am I going to like, let my fear dictate my choices? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's big. Choice is hard. Yeah, I, I feel like that's, that's a, the biggest secret I uncovered from being single and transitioning into being married was that it wasn't this overwhelming, I am 1 million percent compelled beyond any choice that I could make to marry this person. Yeah. It was an active choice that I made every step of the way uh-huh. to let myself be in love with him and to uh-huh. let him love me. Yeah. And now we're in this space where I could absolutely describe it as like, I am overwhelmed. I'm compelled. I have to, like, I need mm-hmm. this, you know, but, but at the time yeah. I was like, I'm choosing this. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think, especially in the church, it can be hard sometimes because like we are seeking personal revelation for our decisions too. And so sometimes I'm like wanting God to make that choice for me. And mm. like, if, yeah, I feel like God wants me to move forward and make, make my choices and he'll support me in those. Yeah, this is a, that's a really hot topic. I would love for you guys yeah. to do an episode on that with uh-huh. your community or just even get yeah. like some feedback about that because it's a very hot topic to say choice versus, you know, God blessing mm-hmm. and yeah, that's the language with which we use to explain that can really influence the outcomes there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Love to do that. So I like that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like that. God blessing something, God blessing your choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we had a couple of, Again, we could talk forever about this attachment stuff. I know, isn't it so? See, now everyone's it like, it's not so bad. I know. <laughs> I'm going to keep thinking about it, do some more reading, get some more help. Oh, yeah. I'm going to look it up later. And yeah. Um, we did ask for our social media followers to submit que- submit questions, and we had a couple of good ones we wanted to bring up. Um, maybe just take a few minutes on them. Um, they're both really good. So the first one was, how do you date when you are high functioning autistic and shyness is the biggest factor? Um, I'm so, I just love this question. I I sat (laughs) with it for, since you've sent it to me, autism is just something that's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, And I, I just think it's so important to know, like sometimes what we call neurodivergent 
or just yes. that your brain thinks things differently, feels as though you're just the other and the outside of normal. For sure. But in reality, it's just your way of processing something a little bit differently. And so I really want to highlight the second part of the question, which is I just feel shy. Yeah. yeah. And shyness is so appropriate. And so it's, it's okay to not necessarily feel like you have to be the most outgoing person in the room to then get a date. No. Yeah. You know, there's, that's kind of a misnomer. So I'd go back to what I was saying before you can be shy and you can still take someone from stranger to acquaintance. It's the, the matter of what do you feel comfortable talking about and where do you feel comfortable meeting people? Mm. And, um, you know, we have to kind of really notice that especially post COVID like in-person events are back. You don't have to be online if you don't want to be online. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I think if you feel shy online is going to require you to be a little bit more vulnerable and bold before you actually know if you can try to trust this person. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? So maybe, maybe the idea would be in-person events and mm-hmm. not that you have to stand in the middle of the room and holler and say, everyone come talk to me. I'm single, yeah. but it's yeah. literally like putting your physical self next to another person that you want to talk to. So it's just getting in closer proximity and striking up a conversation about what's going on in the here and now. Mm -hmm. What brings you here? This is a nice event, you know, something along those lines and just seeing if you can start by, do I, could I make their acquaintance? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that everybody is going to do that, whether you're neurodivergent or not. Yeah. So you don't, you don't feel like you're doing something abnormal, you know? I love that. I feel like I've heard other dating coaches have these like kind of complicated formulas for like meeting pe- people and flirting and mm-hmm. things like that. I love the idea. Touch them on the elbow three times and bat your eyelashes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But really it's just like getting in physical proximity and talking about here and now. I love that. Yeah. That's like a very doable. Finding like a common ground or like a common subject. Yeah. yeah. And again, if you're approaching it, like you would any relationship where you're just starting Mm -hmm. small and building Mm -hmm. trust over time, then Mm -hmm. that makes it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Could you make, I just, just as a caveat, like I'm all for flirting and letting someone know you're interested, but at this point, do you even know? Yeah, <laughs> you, are, you would be flirting with their face. You don't know them. If you yeah. want to flirt with them, go ahead. But like, yeah, start a conversation first. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. What if you're picking up someone you don't want? Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's too late now because you just flirted with them. Yeah, so and they're like, like, "Well, I just dropped all the signals." <laughs> <laughs> no, we've all like spotted that hot person across the room, and then we had like. Uh, a sentence was said and we were like, Oh no. Oh I was wrong. Just walk into the room, go, I am worth getting to know. And we will yeah. see who I want to get to know and who wants to get to know me. And we'll, this will happen. I love it. I yeah. like that. And that's less, that's less stressful. That's less of a commitment, I guess you can say. Yeah. It's just, just getting to know, just getting to know someone. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a good start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the question. We should have an episode about that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the spectrum. Actually, love that show. Love on the spectrum. Do you guys? Yeah. So sweet. Amazing. Okay. Question two uh, How do I start dating? I have been on one date since my divorce and I want to get back into it. Okay. So um, this is going to sound really like 
obvious because I don't think that this is their actual question, but you just ask someone on a date. That's how you get back into it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I think their actual question is how is it going to be okay again? And I hate this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Please don't make me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to? But guess what? You have to. Yeah. So the answer is if you want to have a relationship again, then dating is that necessary space that you go into. So post-divorce recovery is a lifespan. There's not going to be like a magic and I'm cured, uh-huh. but there is going to be a moment where you feel like I have made peace with that part of my life enough that I can not relive that part of my life and what I did or didn't do every single day. Mm. I can lend myself into noticing like that was a piece of my life that didn't turn out how I anticipated. And now I'm willing to move into a new space in my life where I am going to anticipate that things are going to go better. And I'm going to provide hope and, and encouragement and optimism and positivity and I'm going to provide my best set of skills, you know, and, and I think when you're in that space, then when you ask someone on a date, the the dating process just goes back to what we talked about with just the regular build. Mm. Do I enjoy their company? How does it feel getting to know each other? And, and I just kind of want to highlight, we're talking a lot about friendships and the build that way there, there is an important space that if you're building with romantic interest that you do call it a date yeah because you need to in order to start some secure attachment happening coming forward and revealing yourself as being inclined to get to know them in a curious way with romantic intent allows them to show up in that way and give a little more comfort into when or how they'd be vulnerable and to flirt and to do the physical touch piece. And if not, it gets really confusing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So is it because is, is it okay to say that like, if you are a divorced woman, you don't necessarily have to wait for the guy to ask on a date. It's okay for you to say like, Hey, we should go on a date. Um, I love that they can, but I don't ever really think they should. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. And and I'm going to say, I'm going to say this is a very big part of classes that I teach and it comes across as being anti-feminist. And I just hate that because that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a tricky one. The reason is that um, the, the way that, that men work are to have a more singular focus. I can be at work and finish my work job and then drive home and be at home and do my home stuff. And I can think about those things, but they're not, they aren't going to just bleed into my whole day. Mm-hmm. This is, this is somewhat more of how a primitive man hunter gatherer type was like, that's their, their brain wiring and chemistry is just more singular focused. Yeah. It's not to say they can't multicast. It's not to say that they're stupid or blah, blah. I'm not saying that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Women have more of a multi-focus approach. Okay. So that being said, she can be thinking and anticipating what it would be like. And she can be curious about if she likes him and all these other things. And he could not have even thought about it Mm -hmm. at all. No clue, not on his radar, not because he's a jerk, 
but because he's been at work and now he's here and he, and he walked into the room and he, he just didn't see it. Yeah. Right. And so if a woman comes into a man and she's like, I want to go on a date with you, not because they're trying to, but they can hear that as I like you, I want to be interesting. I want to move forward. And so he has a lot of catching up to do to go, do I like her? Do mm-hmm. I want to date her? Do I, how do I feel about this? I don't even know. Like he hasn't even started his emotional process to turn towards her and to say, could I make her happy? I don't even know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because she's already said, you make me happy. You think, I think you're great. And he's like, well, then <laughs> what's the point of my work? Yeah. Because when he, when he turns towards a woman and he decides, I want to approach her and I want to figure out um, how this, how this is going to go he's already anticipated. Could I potentially make her happy? Could I stand a shot? Do I think that maybe that mitigated risk? Do I think that maybe this could happen? And she then has to do the catch up work of like, Oh, well, let's see, go ahead. Dazzle me, show me, tell me if you can show me if I want to like you. Yeah. So, so it's better to me, give... you tell me you tell me your thoughts on that though because I yeah. get a lot of diverse reactions on that. One. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. So you should give you should give the guy a chance to like peacock basically. I like that analogy. <laughs> I just want him to have time in his head to think about could he like you without him knowing that you like him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to know that you're all in and ready to have his children. Yeah. Freak out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a turn off. Yeah. Yeah. At any point. Because he hasn't even thought about that yet. Yeah. And it's not that because he has to be the bravest, the strongest, or the first. It's just that that's the way that his singular focus works. So, what I always say to a woman, if you want to turn a man's head in your direction and have him think about it, you can ask, but you need to be sure that when you're asking, you're saying something like, I'm curious about you. Should we get together sometime? Mm -hmm. I like that. Or, um, gosh, you make me think, or I really would love for you to teach me da, 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 sometime. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you can absolutely turn his head in your direction and, you know, point things. But if you're going to come out with this, I want to date you. I want romantic interest. declared, mm-hmm. he is, you're, it's going to struggle. Yeah. I like those ideas though. Like I'm curious about this thing, or I want to continue this conversation we were having or mm-hmm. something like that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. This I like good. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I hate wrapping this up. I just want to keep talking forever, but <laughs> you should tell us where we can find you. So I'm at the dating counselor.com. Okay. That's where you can access my podcast, um, which is also called the dating counselor. Mm-hmm. Also on any, any major podcast platforms. <laughs> love it. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at the dating counselor. And I love to provide uh, education and humor and advocacy yeah. for healthy dating. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you do group classes, you do individual yeah. sessions. Okay. So I do individuals. Um, I do offer group coaching. You you need to go through um, a class module before we do individuals, because there's just a baseline that uh, I teach that we can, it's just, it's getting our language in sync together. Yeah, I love it. The things are going together and um it's fun we have i have fun i really like it sounds really fun being in a community of peers yeah yeah and and the people that i work with are just exceptional there's 
there's, I don't, I don't ever come under the assumption of like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with you or no, like, if you only knew this big blind spot, then of course it's none of that. Like people all have really amazing skills. They're doing really good things with their lives, but modern dating is hard. Uh-huh. And when you have, you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. You know, and until, until I learned that applied that got married, did that, then I was like, there's a lot of people aren't telling you, yeah. or at least a lot that, that they're missing in translation. Uh-huh. And, and I just feel like, uh, you know, I feel called to the work. I say. love it. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually heard that dating coaching is growing. Like more people, more people are seeking that out and it makes sense. Cause like there are no guidebooks. Yeah. The landscape continues to change. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to navigate. It's a lot to expect someone to just know what they're doing. Yeah. We want soulmate love now. We're not interested in just hooking it up with the farmer across the field. Yeah. You know, we want to find the one. So, yeah. I mean, the farmer across the field could be hot, but (laughs) I know. But, but if you're on, if you're on, you know, farmers only, you got a lot of farmers. There are a lot of farmers. (laughs) Too many farmers to choose from. Oh my God, yeah, it's different. It's very different. And it's good. It's good to have the options. It's good. We all have these tools and skills we can acquire. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good place to be in for sure. It's hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this has been so great. Thank you so you. much. I've just enjoyed meeting you. Carry on. Good job. Yes. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. We appreciate it. <laughs>